Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Ruth in the time of Judges, as we pick up in Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn now to the book of Ruth? As we were studying the book of Judges, we pointed out that at the end of chapter 16, the end of the story of Samson, you actually came to the end of the history part of the book of Judges. What followed in chapter 17 and on to the end were a couple of incidents or scenes that took place during the time of the judges. Just to show that it was a time of spiritual confusion and moral decay as far as the nation was concerned. When the Danites uh, moved uh, their area of inheritance, a portion of them went on up to the northern part of the land how that they captured this young priest and how he had these teraphims and so forth, these little images that had been made. And uh, just it was just a time of spiritual confusion. And then it was a time of moral decay as we saw the conditions of the Benjamites and uh, the sodomy that uh, was beginning to be practiced uh, by the Uh, men of Gibeah and its consequences. Now, that gives you one side of what was happening. There is another story that took place in the book of Ruth opens. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And so the story of Ruth, again, is sort of an appendix to the book of Judges in that this story fits back into the period when the judges were ruling over Israel. Now, it was a time of spiritual confusion. It was a time of apostasy, a time of moral declension. But yet in the midst of it all, God was working out his plan in those hearts and lives that were open to him. And this is always true. Though you may look at an overall condition of a nation or a people and say, boy, they're really in a mess, yet God is always working out his plan in the hearts and in the lives of those that are open unto him. And so here God was working in the period of moral declension, in this period of confusion, yet God was working in a very special way And the book of Ruth gives us the insight into the work of God. Now, quite often, when we live in a corrupted society such as we live today, and where in our whole educational philosophy, they teach that the mores of a society determine what is right and wrong conduct. And thus having established that as a sociological fact, 
as we look around and see the mores, we say, well, everybody's doing it, and that becomes the criteria, it must be right. It is interesting that the Bible declares that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that is the biblical account of creation. You have in the educational circles today the humanistic philosophy that is actually prevailing within our educational system. And the humanistic philosophy, rather than saying that God created man, declares that man created God for his own convenience because he needed something to believe in. He needed to have some kind of a, a guide for moral conduct and all, and so man created God. And that actually man's moral conduct is determined by the mores of his society. The Bible declares in the beginning God created man. And the moral conduct were standards that were established by God, which are absolutes. Humanism, man created God for his own convenience, and man establishes his own standards, his own mores, and thus they are relative to the situations. Now, living, and all of you have in, in some degree been affected by the humanistic philosophy that prevails in every level of our society today. The danger is falling into that trap of thinking, well, everybody is doing it. I'm weird or out of step because I'm not following along with the same pattern of the world in which I live. And to be accepted, I must join the crowd. And after all, if everybody's doing it, it must be all right. False. That is the philosophy of humanism expressed in its existentialism. Not so. God has established standards. Man is always trying to get a little twist on the standard that God has established. But what if this and what if that and, and trying to make it relate to a special case? But God has established the standards by which we are to live. God created man and established the moral standards for that man. So God is always working. And in this confused, corrupted society in which we live, God still desires to work in the hearts and the lives of those that are open to the work of God. Oh, God, help me that my heart might be open unto God so that he can work in my life in the midst of this corrupted society. Now, the Bible foresaw the corruption in which you are living today. The Bible very aptly expressed sort of the 
scientific attitudes of uniformitarianism that have prevailed, that have set the stage for the evolutionary thesis, which has, of course, set the stage for the whole humanism because God is no longer needed, man evolved from the protozoa, and, and the whole thing is tied together. And Peter said, in the last days there will be scoffers that will come saying, where is the promise of the Father, that is, of the coming again of Jesus Christ? Where is the Lord? He hasn't come. Since our fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. I defy you to find me a better definition of uniformitarianism. All things have continued as they were from the beginning. That is exactly what the dogma or the theory of uniformitarianism declares. All of the phenomena that has ever existed in the creation and the evolving of man into his present state can be observed in the world today. There have been no catastrophes and so forth. No dramatic changes. And it is interesting that Peter foresaw this scientific theory before it was ever propounded and he actually gave the greatest flaw within it. For this they were willingly ignorant that God destroyed the world that was with a flood. They closed their eyes to that. The fact of the universal flood, which is by far a better explanation of the geological column and of the geology itself than is this theory of evolution. The geological column does not prove at all the theory of evolution. In fact, it raises great questions in regards to the theory of evolution because within the geological column there is a total absence of any transitional forms. And if the transitional forms took place over millions of years of evolving, surely we would have fossils that would show the transitional forms. So absent is the fossil record of transitional forms that it has led one of the professors at Stanford to come up with the magic bird kind of a theory. Whereas a snake one time laid an egg and a bird flew out. It's the hopeful monster theory. And he had to come up with that because of the absence of transitional forms in the geological column. Rather than there being gradual changes, they're now saying suddenly in the Cambrian uh, state there appeared multitudes of many faceted animals in highly developed forms. Remarkable. Hocus pocus, dominocus. So it's a, it's a thing that we are in this society of which the Bible said perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They would be fierce, they'd be incontinent, which uh, speaks of this uh, sexual freedom that people are advocating today and goes on to describe our modern-day society. 
Jesus, in referring to these things, said, because the iniquity of the earth is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. But in the midst of this crooked and perverse world, God is still working in the hearts and lives of those that are open and surrendered unto him. So in the period of Judges, a time much as today when the gays were uh, parading and declaring their normalcy and desiring to uh, actually propagate their own uh, thing there in Gibeah and were publicly parading their perverse style of life, God was working in the hearts and lives of those that were open to God. Now, the book of Ruth is another insight that shows us how God can work and does work his purposes on the earth even under adverse circumstances. So it came to pass when the judges ruled that there was a family in the land, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, and he went to sojourn in the country of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his sons were Malon and Chilion, and he was an Ephratite. Now, Ephratite, or Ephra, was the area, the general area in which Bethlehem was situated, like Santa Ana is situated in Orange County. Bethlehem was situated in the area called Ephra, so he was an Ephrathite, like you might be called an Orange Countyan uh, because you live in Orange County. Now, the names as, are always interesting because the names are oftentimes significant to the story. They, they named their children, and every name had a meaning. Now, they say that names have meanings today. Uh, and uh, you can look back to the meaning of your names in some of the dictionaries, what your name actually means. The name Elimelech means my God is king. Beautiful name. The name Naomi means pleasantness. A very beautiful name indeed. But the name Melon means sickly. And the name Chilion means pining. Now often the children were named after circumstances of their birth. When Esau was born, he was all covered with hair, and so they called him Harry. <laughs> the word Esau means Harry. And he's just a hairy little kid, so it's a good name. When his brother was born, his twin brother, he reached out and grabbed hold of Harry's heel. And so they said, look at that, he's a heel catcher, and they called him Yaakov, heel catcher. So they were named after circumstances of their birth. Probably when Malon was born, perhaps he was premature. Maybe it was touch and go for a while. He just didn't look well. They said, oh, he's sickly. He's Malon. 
So he picked up the name Melon, sickly. Later, when his brother was born, he didn't look much better, so they called him Pining. <laughs> sickly and Pining. No wonder they died young. They were sickly and pining. So in the land of Bethlehem, there was a famine. There was a drought. They heard that there was good land over in Moab, and so Elimelech decided to sell out and with his wife and two sons move over to Moab, which is the high plateau country across the Great Rift, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, over on the other side, the high plateau country, which is very fertile area. So they moved over to Moab. And while they were there, Elimelech died. And so the boys married girls from Moab. The one married a girl by the name of Orpah, the other married a girl by the name of Ruth. And it came to pass in time that both of the boys also died without having any children. And so Naomi said to the two daughters-in-law, go back and return to your families, to your mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you, even as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So during this period of family tragedy, these two girls actually showed a real depth of character. They, they were very kind to Naomi and the comforting of Naomi. They took their tragedy very well. And so Naomi is wishing them that they also might receive the same degree of kindness that they have displayed unto her. And the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So may, may you both find some good boys and get married. May, may you have a happy married life. May you... May you find someone else, and may you live at rest in the house of your husband. So she's just encouraging the girls, hey, girls, you know, you're better off here. You're better off with your families. And you're better off just getting married here with someone else. And so the two girls went with her for a while on the way back. And so they, they wept and all, and, and then Ruth I mean, Naomi said to them again, look, girls, I am really too old to have any more sons. And even if I had a hope of having sons, let's say that I was married now and became pregnant tomorrow. Would you want to wait until my sons grew up old enough to get married? You don't want to wait for and anyhow, it's not going to happen. So you just go ahead and, and return home and get, uh, you know, your husbands and get married. And so Orpah fell on her neck and kissed her and, and bid her farewell and returned to her mother's house. But Ruth then uttered these beautiful words, 
Entreat me not to leave thee or to forsake thee or to return from following after thee because where you will go or where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And God forbid, if anything but death should separate between us. And so the, the devotion of Ruth to her mother-in-law Look, I'll go with you. Don't ask me to leave you or to forsake you or to return back to my family. For wherever you go, evidently there was a beautiful bond that was created between daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. Very beautiful bond. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And God forbid, if anything but death should separate us. And so they came back into the land. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her, and the two went till they came to Bethlehem. Now when they arrived in Bethlehem, the people said, Oh, Naomi has returned. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Ruth on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Ruth 1 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and prosper you in His love and in His grace, and in His fullness. May you be established in the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ as we look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who shall establish God's kingdom and bring us all into that glorious age of ruling and reigning with Him. May God sustain you, give you strength and power in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
This Christmas, why not give the gift of God's Word by choosing the Word for Today Bible, featuring Chuck Smith's notes highlighting a simple understanding of the Scriptures. This Bible includes an exhaustive concordance, cross-references, in-text and color maps, words of Christ in red, and Chuck Smith's commentary notes, including Hebrew and Greek word origins. And in the Word for Today Bible softcover edition, we've included Chuck Smith's book, How Can a Man Be Born Again?, which is very informative for a new believer. It's our prayer that as your loved ones read the Word for Today Bible, Chuck's commentaries will give a simple understanding into the scriptures, causing God's Word to come to life in their heart, not only drawing them into a closer relationship with the Lord, but stirring them to passionately serve God. For more information, please call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org to read a preview.